You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. We are on episode number 36. Yes, and this week we're going to be talking about traveling with pets. What do you do? Mm. What do you not do? <laughs> yeah, Rachel and I both have some experience with this. So we're going to bring in our own experience. We're going to talk about preparing for the travel and things to keep in mind during the trip, and then also some advice from our own experience. Yeah. But first, we have some language news. Language news. (laughs) Trying a different jingle on that one today. (laughs) (laughs) Language news this week. British English is no longer the dominant form of English. Suck it, nerds. (laughs) Sorry, I'll stop. But that is pretty cool. I mean, that's when I think of... Okay, never mind. I don't know where I'm going with this. No, I I think I know where you're going. Like, British English is supposed to be, like, the ultimate authority on English. Right. But the Oxford English Dictionary Word English Editor said in 2018... Oxford English Dictionary's third edition acknowledges that with the current status of English as a world language, no longer is British English to be regarded as the dominant form of English. It is only one of the many individual varieties of the language that share a common lexical core, but develop their own unique vocabularies. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a big step. It's like English is truly the universal language now. Yeah. And, I mean, as a non-British English speaker, that makes me feel more validated, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not yeah. subpar and, like, ignorant, you know? Oh, my God, that's totally true. Because uh, we always hate on our British friends. <laughs> but, no, I, my British friend will say something, and I'll be like, oh, we, we pronounce that differently. And... He'll be like, no, you pronounce it wrong. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know what? According to the Oxford English Dictionary, it is not wrong. It's just just different. different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And linguistic anthropologists would always beg to differ with that as well. There's no wrong way to pronounce anything unless it's totally incomprehensible. But... Anyway, that's like getting way too deep. (laughs) There are a lot of words and phrases that are in the Oxford English Dictionary that have been borrowed from different languages. So, for example, in Mandarin, the phrase jiao, it means add oil. And it basically means like, go, you can do it, jiao. (laughs) Right. But the translation is add oil. So the phrase add oil is in the Oxford English Dictionary because it's actually a Chinglish phrase that people who speak Chinese say in English because that's the direct translation of jiao. That's really cool. Yeah. There are a lot of phrases that are English and that people use in Spanish, but I'm trying to think of the Mm. opposite direction. Yeah, I can't think of any. I can only think of the other direction. Yeah. Like, spoiler. Spoiler. 
In German, they say, abgefuckt. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So there are a lot of phrases that borrow from English, but I think we don't realize that there are also a lot of phrases that English borrows from other languages, which is part of our evolution as a language. Yeah, definitely. If you want to go back and listen to the evolution of English parts one and two, you can find out more about that. I think it's like episode number 16 and 22 or something. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see if there are any more from this article. They're like local slang from Singapore. For example, the word lepak, which means to spend one's time aimlessly loitering or loafing around. I'm just lepaking Mm -hmm. at home doing nothing. That's funny. So I think that's Singapore English. But yeah, I think especially like expat lingo uses a lot of words from its origin. Like Lao Wai is the word for foreigner or Waigoren in China. Okay. And in Korea, we said Weguk. There's a Weguk. There's a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Are there any words like that that you use among expats in Spain? I mean, I think it's a lot of Spanglish. But, like, giri is, like, a foreigner. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. What does that come from? I can't remember, but I've heard it. It's mostly, like, people from Northern Europe or, like, English speakers. They're strongly associated with beach tourism and commonly stereotyped as blonde with pale skin and often drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a good example expat lingo but it's a lot of times you know it's like the equivalent of like gringo mm-hmm. that's what i was thinking not like gringo mm-hmm. spanish people will call you giri when you are clearly not of latin or mediterranean origin mm-hmm. yeah i've been called giri many times <laughs> huh oh that's so interesting i've never heard that before i like it though yeah giri, or giri. you know if you see like some europeans or like northern europeans or like Americans or something doing something really like not Spanish like eating at six o'clock or mm-hmm. <laughs> or I don't know being really foreign they'll be like mm-hmm. oh, you're so giddy like huh I like that cool well yeah that's the language news this week if you can think of any words that have been added to the English language from your language or from other mm-hmm. languages let us know. Yeah. It'd be really interesting. Definitely. So yeah, let's talk about traveling with pets. Yeah. So do you want to give a little background about your story before we dive in? Sure. Yeah. So my husband and I came to China almost a year ago, and we did not hire a pet relocation company. We thought about it, but in the end, we just did everything by ourselves, and it was incredibly (laughs) nerve-wracking. We brought our two cats They went in the plane with us, and I think the most stressful part of it was the preparation, Mm -hmm. just not having a clear idea of what to expect beforehand. And I definitely would wake up at, like, 3 a.m., like, what if this happens? What if they have to go to quarantine? And and then, like, I would just go through so many forums on the internet, (laughs) just trying to find out about people's experience and... Eventually we did it and everything worked out fine, but I thought we should make an episode because I wrote a blog about it, but we've been getting a lot of people writing in asking more questions. So, And then you also have some experience, uh, kind of. With your- kind of, right. Yeah. <sighs> like mine is not necessarily like 
a personal experience. Like, I haven't traveled with a pet. Yeah. But my boyfriend's mom brought his cat from Venezuela uh, a few weeks ago. So, I mean, I was present for, you know, the preparations. He told me what was happening and stuff. Yeah. But, no, I have not personally traveled with a pet by airplane, which is nerve-wracking. Yeah, incredibly nerve-wracking, for sure. But, yeah, I learned a lot, obviously, when we were preparing to bring the cats over. And it was definitely a valuable experience, so... Hopefully we can bring some wisdom to our listeners, especially the people who are thinking about bringing their pet on a move abroad. <laughs> yeah. And do you think that it would be easier for you to do it the next time? I think it would be hard every time. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is that you put all the planning into it that you can. Yeah. I had already moved abroad myself before, so I really wasn't worried about myself and adjusting to the culture and like packing the right things, like that was kind of on the back burner in my mind. I wanted to make sure I had everything I needed, but yeah. the most important thing was making sure that the cats were going to get settled and right. they would be okay. So why don't we talk about some stats? You found some information on how much pets travel. Yeah, just for a little background, I think this topic is very current because it's becoming more and more common, I think, for people to travel with their pet. Mm-hmm. Like maybe 30 years ago, people wouldn't really imagine like just, you know, taking their dogs with them. And right. it, like a lot of people are starting to travel with their pets, you know, like your situation yeah. was moving with your pets abroad. Right. But a lot of people take their pets just on vacation with them to Europe or to wherever. Yeah. I see a lot of people who fly with their dogs or their cats Mm -hmm. many times a year. So it is becoming, I think, more common. Yeah, something that the airlines need to start adjusting to as well, I think. Definitely. Yeah. they have. You know, maybe even eventually, like, having pet-friendly flights Mm. that you can choose to be on or not. That'd be so cool. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. Maybe it would be like a slightly lower price ticket or something. And if you're okay with being on there with a bunch of dogs and cats and whatever, then it could be cheaper for you. Or also maybe even like having the planes arranged differently for pet friendly flights. Yeah. That's my idea. (laughs) My mind went the opposite direction. Like maybe you fly on a pet friendly flight and it's a little bit more expensive, but it's easier for you to get your animal on there. Yeah, I think for the people flying with pets, it probably would be more expensive. But mm-hmm. maybe if you're just filling a seat and like you don't have a pet, but don't mind being around them, then you could get a discounted price. That'd be really cool. Maybe you should keep that idea to yourself, Rachel. Make some money off of it later. <laughs> Changing That's the airlines. <laughs> or, yeah, for when you own your own airline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now, about 14% of pet owners uh, transport their pets long distances, and 6% of pets go on planes each year. So it's still not, in terms of, like, all pets, it's not that every pet is flying, but it's becoming more common. Yeah. I remember when I was about 18, I was flying to Germany Mm -hmm. and we were flying through Frankfurt and I sat next to a woman who had brought her pet 
on the plane. The dog was in the cargo. But yeah, she was on her way to Budapest and she said, I take my dog with me every year to Budapest. Oh, wow. So she would stay there for like a few months. And like having gone through that process myself now of bringing pets one direction. Oh, my God. That sounds like the world's biggest nightmare. (laughs) But she was flying from where? From Germany? From the U.S. Oh, from the U.S. Yeah, we went through Frankfurt and I guess she was going to go on another one to Budapest at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, especially if you are spending a long time in a certain place, like more than more than a week or two, and you're not planning on moving around a lot during that time. It makes sense to want to bring especially a dog Mm -hmm. that you can take outside. I've seen these cool blogs with people who like take their cats hiking and I'm like, oh, adventure cat. (laughs) Is that who it is? It's so cool. Yeah, I follow a lot on Instagram. They're so cool. (laughs) I know. If if anybody here has a cat, you probably know that if you try to put it on a leash and walk it, it, like, ends up sniffing grass and does not walk in, like, the way you want it to go, the way a dog would. (laughs) If they did, then I would love to see if I could take them hiking in the mountains of China sometime. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. (laughs) But you've taken Rayo hiking around Spain, yeah? Yeah, near Madrid and gone to lakes. Yeah, it's much easier with dogs. I mean, people are more used to seeing dogs on a leash. And <laughs> I have seen a couple of cats in Madrid on a leash. Really? But it's always like, oh my god, there's a cat! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hardly take our cats to our courtyard. Oh, okay. Do you have, like, little harnesses for them? Yeah. But, like, one cat will stop and just sniff, like, one piece of grass under one bush for, like, 20 minutes, and the other one will, like, (laughs) try to go under cars and around, like, into the parking lot under more cars, like, behind bushes, and neither of those is an optimal way to go for a walk. Which one is which? So, we have two cats, and they each have claimed us, and... Winston is the cat that has claimed me. He's a little yellow manx, so he has like a little nub tail. And then our other cat is Lexi, and that's Seth's cat, and she's an American short-haired black tabby, basically. But which cat does which thing? Oh, sorry. Uh, Winston goes under cars and behind bushes. <laughs> and then his like stuff gets stuck in his long fur. <laughs> and then Lexi just, just so I'm like maneuvering around all these things whenever we take them downstairs and Seth's just standing with Lexi <laughs> he'll like surf Instagram on his phone for 20 minutes in the same spot <laughs> she's just <laughs> she'll just sit there <laughs> I wonder if it's like overwhelming for her it might be yeah she's kind of a scaredy cat so anyway before we get into traveling the actual traveling part and preparing for it if anybody's looking for a way to get a watcher for your animal rachel has some sources that i did not know about (laughs) yeah um in spain one that i've used is a dog buddy and you can just kind of see the people who live fairly near you and you can see their profile pictures and reviews of people who've used them and you just can hire them for either a walk or overnight stay 
which might be more relevant if you're traveling or a doggy Mm -hmm. daycare or something like that. And we've had good experience with that. And I know in the U.S. a really big one is Rover. I haven't used it, but it's really big, I think. That's amazing. That's really good information. I've never heard of either of those. Well, you don't have dogs, right? That's true. I do have cats. (laughs) But I feel like... I feel like a dog sitter might be open to cat sitting. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> I don't think I don't think dog buddies in China though. I just checked it out. Okay. It is in other places in Europe, right? I think it might be British. Yeah. It's uk.dogbuddy.com. Yeah. But you have a lot of options in Madrid, so that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. So yeah, let's talk about preparing to bring your animal with you when you travel. Okay. One thing Something that we are really glad we did was we brought a big supply of food and litter when we came to China. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have to worry about finding food for them as soon as we got here. And what did you do like in between flights in terms of litter? Well, our vet told us that they probably wouldn't want to eat or drink while we were traveling. Mm -hmm. So we did have a portable litter box that we ordered on Amazon. Okay. And it has like a zipper. It's round and it's uh, soft, but the inside is contained. So it had a zipper on top. Uh-huh. We put litter in that and put it in our carry-on. And then we had one stopover in Seoul where we took them into like a handicapped bathroom and okay. put the litter box out. And that way they were able to get out of their carriers and walk around the bathroom. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But neither of them used the bathroom when we stopped. They were traveling for about, I think, 24 hours total. And neither of them used the bathroom while we were traveling. Wow. Yeah, so that's a good thing for cats. Mm -hmm. With dogs, you don't need that so much. There are usually little areas, I think, where you can take them out in between flights. Yeah, that's something that's really good to research before you go. Right. If you have to have a layover somewhere... Try to find out which airports have places for a dog to use the bathroom. Because some airports do have that. Yeah. Seoul International does not. (laughs) They don't. Oh, okay. No. So I guess that's for... That would be for carry-on dogs. Yeah, for carry-on. I think... Do they walk dogs when you check them? Yeah, I think I've read something about that. If it's like a layover. I don't remember exactly how that works, though. That's another thing is definitely do your homework when it comes to choosing an airline. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information out there on how airlines do with pets. So especially if you have like a bigger dog or cat that needs to go in the cargo area of the plane, there are some airlines that do better than others with pets. Definitely. Better track records. Yeah. Better policies overall. Mm-hmm. I know that Emilio booked his mom's flight to Madrid with Iberia specifically so that the cat could ride in the cabin Mm -hmm. because the budget airline that he booked to go on the way back did not allow that. So he really wanted to make sure he was in the cabin. And I think that's the best option. I think so too, yeah. And like that way you have control and you can keep an eye on them and make sure they're safe. Yeah, don't put them in the overhead. Oh my god. So that's why we flew with Asiana, because when I was doing all of the research, that was the only airline that flew to China that would let us take our pets in the cabin. Okay. That and I think Delta. So that was definitely a big thing. And then when we flew from Seoul to Guangzhou, 
our cat's carriers were soft, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't fit under the seat in front of us. So the flight attendant said, well, if he doesn't fit under the seat, then he's going to have to go in the overhead compartment. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> and so we just kind of shoved the carrier under the seat. So make sure you get a soft carrier and do not let your animal in the overhead compartment because a lot of animals have suffocated from that. Right. And in terms of crates and stuff like that, they do have specific guidelines, like for cabin and then for if they're going to go in cargo as well, they also have to follow specific guidelines. Yeah, like the size. Right, the structure. I mean, they should be soft anyway. For the cabin, yeah, they need to be soft. But if it if they go in the cargo, they need if to be If they go in the cargo, carriers. they need to be the plastic kind, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and if they go in the cargo, they also need like a little water bottle that they can drink from. Mm-hmm, like a hamster. Yeah, like a hamster, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure my cats would have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> They've never seen one before. <laughs> I bet they would figure it out, though. I don't know. They're not that smart, Rachel. <laughs> I don't think that I would understand what to do with it. He can't understand how to drink from a, a stream of water. So <laughs> he just looks at you like, what is this? Like, what am I supposed to do? It's okay. He has other strengths. <laughs> He's really cute. He's really cute. Another piece of advice that I saw a lot before we left was rehearse with your pet. Mm-hmm. So first of all, get them used to the carrier itself and kind of try to develop a positive relationship with the carrier. This did not work out for us before we left. (laughs) Like we tried to put their food in the crate so that they would like go in and, and eat it and then associate the carrier with food. Right. Oh my God. They did not trust those things at all. (laughs) They were like, why am I going into a confined space to eat my breakfast? (laughs) So what happened when you finally went? Did you just shove them in there? Yeah, basically. What we did do, though, is we took them on a few long car trips before we went. Oh, okay. So we had to go back and forth to D.C. a few times for visa purposes. Mm-hmm. And we kind of found out how each cat does during a long trip. And we found out that Winston is pretty chill. He handled it very well. Mm-hmm. Lexi is not. <laughs> And she screamed the entire eight hours. <laughs> no! Oh, yeah. Every single time. Oh, my God. Yeah, she would just like, meow! Meow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We tried to, like, listen to audiobooks or music, and it didn't really drown her out very well. So... <laughs> That's when we decided, you know, we I read a lot of articles saying don't drug your animals because the altitude might mess with the drugs and causes respiratory problems. Right, it could cause respiratory problems and actually a lot of airlines won't let you bring your animal on a plane, they say, if you drug them. Uh-huh. But Lexi was definitely drugged when we brought her on the plane and we were very glad. <laughs> and so it was everyone around you probably yeah i think so she just kind of fell asleep and it was okay that's good and we talked to a vet so she took ace promazine and we had already tried it out on her to see how she would handle the drug before we left 
Okay. So obviously test your animal on a car trip or anyway when you're traveling with how they handle travel and how they handle drugs if necessary. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice, I think. Mm. Yeah, it was really useful. And good from your personal experience. Yeah. Another piece of advice, this is a little controversial, but emotional support animals in the U.S. are very common. And yes, there are emotional support horses and snakes that don't belong on planes. But (laughs) if you're transporting your dog or cat to another country and you have them claimed as an emotional support animal, then they have to be in the plane. And I was totally nervous that something would happen and there would be a mix-up and our cats wouldn't be able to come in the cabin with us. And I said, let's designate them as emotional support animals to make sure that they come in the plane with us in the cabin. Yeah, so that is something that is under scrutiny at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like allowing emotional support animals and it might change in the future. Yeah. Because there have been a lot of abuse of that, but that is an option. Yeah. I mean, it was better for my sanity to know that the cats were with us Mm -hmm. as well. So that was my own justification. Like, we're moving to another country. We don't want to give our cats to a different person. They're a part of our family. Right. And it's going to be emotionally traumatizing if I don't have control over my cats when we're traveling and they die because they're in the wrong hands, for example. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which is something that happens. It is, yeah. So we've talked about preparing in terms of planning. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, really do your research about the airline, first of all. Yeah. As well, if you're just going on a trip, you might also just research the place that you're going, if it's very pet friendly or not, Mm -hmm. because it might not be the best idea if you're going to, I don't know, I can't think of an example, but a city that you want to see a lot of museums and you want to go to a lot of fancy restaurants and think about what you want to do while you're there, I guess, because having a pet might inhibit that. I mean, you Mm -hmm. might not be able to go into a lot of sites or whatever. Yeah, true. A lot of, especially tourist destinations are not going to be pet friendly. Right. As well as national parks, actually, in the U.S. Like, Mm, true. If you're going to like Yellowstone or something, I don't think it's dog friendly so i don't think so either unless it's a service animal right so and i mean then it's not very fun for them to like stay in a hotel all day or something exactly yeah it might actually be very stressful right when we flew to china we spent the night in la Mm -hmm. so we had two legs of the trip the first leg was from atlanta to la and there we found a pet friendly hotel But yeah, we couldn't do anything because we had our cats at the hotel and we wanted to like stay with them and make sure that they were okay. And and that, I guess, also goes hand in hand with, as you were saying, booking your either a hotel or an Airbnb that's pet friendly Mm -hmm. and make sure that you get a room designated for pets as well. Don't assume that the whole hotel is pet friendly. Yeah. And communicate ahead of time with whoever you're staying with, if it's an Airbnb, a hotel, or the airline itself. When you book your airline ticket, you need to call the airline and book it directly through them instead of on a budget website or something. Because a lot of airlines have limitations on how many pets are allowed per plane. 
Right. So if somebody's already, if too many people have already bought a ticket who are traveling with their pets, then you might not be able to bring your pet on that plane. Oh, okay. Like we, when we flew with Asiana, we were allowed to bring the cats on the plane, but it was only one animal per section of the plane. So we had to sit separately. Oh, wow. Uh, pet relocation companies, to use them or not. <laughs> we were thinking about using a pet relocation company, and they have really, really great services that literally pick up your pets from home for you and then drop them off at your destination. Oh, wow. Yeah. The cost of that would have been almost $3,000 per cat if we'd gone with that. That so is we didn't. hefty, yes. <laughs> I think the cost of just their assistance with it was closer to one to two thousand dollars per cat, which was still like just helping us fill out the paperwork. Right. We did get those quotes and they were kind of helpful because we found out about quarantine from them. So I didn't do a phone consultation with them, but in the end that was enough information for us to just figure it out by ourselves. Plus the internet. But if you are nervous about it or feeling really unsure, that is a really great option that exists. Yeah, definitely. And the reason it would have been so expensive for us was because it was such a huge distance. Yeah. But I think it would be cheaper going like from the US to Europe or something. Yeah, I'm sure. And you had a lot of legs and it's a really long journey. Mm-hmm. We're kitties. But they were okay. You know what? The weirdest part of taking them abroad was cat jet lag. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when we finally landed and we were all, like, better rested, we were all, you know, our bodies were off. But I remember that first week when we got to Shenzhen in our Airbnb, the cats would wake me up at, like, 2 or 3 a.m. Like, it's breakfast time! <laughs> Feed us! Yeah. Like, no, go back to sleep! Damn it. <laughs> You will have to pay a fee to the airline. I think it's, I think I paid $100 per cat for traveling with them. Okay. So that could be worse. Yeah. And it can, I think if they go into cargo, it might be more, like mm -hmm. more in the $500 range. That makes sense. They're an extra piece of luggage, but very, very valuable luggage. Right. That require extra help from the airlines. And just a quick caveat on cargo, the cargo area is not the checked baggage area. So the cargo area is the part of the plane that's pressurized and temperature controlled. So pets are usually the last to be loaded and the first to be removed from the plane. Right. So that's definitely where you want to put your big dogs, your rayos and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And so, it, as you said, like, it's pressurized, which is really important, and the temperature. Yeah. It is an option to put them in the checked bag area, but a lot Ugh. of pets have perished in there. Oh, it's so sad. It's very sad. So I would not recommend that. No. Yeah. That's another part of doing your research before you decide on an airline. Yeah. If you have a bigger animal, I think the weight limit in a lot of cases is... I want to say our cats couldn't be more than 15 pounds, yeah. including the carrier. Our cats are like 7 or 8 pounds each, so it wasn't a concern for us. But even bigger cats would need to go in the cargo area. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they weighed our cats when we were checking in. Okay. We've talked about getting them used to the crate and the mm -hmm. carrier, but what should you do to make it less stressful for them? 
Yeah, um, we talked to our vet about this before we left. Obviously, before you move to another country, from the U.S. at least, they have to be checked by a USDA certified vet. So he told us, put like a blanket over the crate uh-huh. because that will there won't be as much stimulation from outside. Yeah. So that'll kind of tell their bodies to relax and just like hunker down and get ready for the trip. But it might encourage them to sleep a little bit, too. Yeah. It did not work with Winston. (laughs) When we were on the flight from Atlanta to L.A., he eventually did fall asleep. And then from L.A. to Seoul, Winston refused to stay in his crate. (laughs) So I could see his little head popping up on the the soft carrier under the blanket. (sighs) And he was, like, really anxious. And I heard... He doesn't have a very loud meow, but he was just kind of like, <laughs> and so <laughs> little guy. I know. <laughs> Luckily, I was sitting next to a really sweet little teenager. She was just smitten with Winston, <laughs> and that was really lucky for me because Winston ended up riding in my lap for nine hours oh of my the thirteen-hour plane ride. <laughs> Yeah, he, well, like I said, he's a really chill cat, so he didn't, like, try to get up and run away. I stayed awake to make sure that he was going to stay in my lap, and if he, like, wanted to walk around, then I would, like, hold on to him or put him away. Mm -hmm. Because he's an emotional support animal, I was able to do that, too. Oh, okay. Like, the, the flight attendant saw it, and I had his harness on, so the flight attendant would see, and she'd be like, oh, yeah, there's your cat. Uh-huh. So she knew that we had animals traveling with us. Lexi, on the other hand, could not get out of her crate because <laughs> her medication started to wear off at some point. And Seth, like, stuck his hand in her carrier to, like, try to calm her down. And she <laughs> had, like, a bloody stump afterward. Oh, my God. <laughs> she, like, attacked his hand. Oh, wow. Like I said, every animal travels differently. Definitely, yeah. There's no one right way to do it, but... <laughs> Yeah. It's such a big deal to bring an animal with you. Yeah, it is. And so you said that they probably wouldn't want to eat or drink your cats. But I I feel like dogs might. Yeah, I think so. Dogs get stressed out, but I think they're not quite as finicky when it comes to eating as cats are. Yeah, yeah. So you'll want to have some water available for them and dry food. I read somewhere like that you should freeze a water bowl, but it seems like it still might spill at some point if they don't drink it. Yeah. So I was thinking that, like, the little hamster-type bottles would be better. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, like, teach them how to use it before you go. Yeah. Try having some around. Yeah, don't just stick it in there and be like, there you go, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) One thing that also helped, though, with speaking of spills was... Like, soft carriers have, like, a little thing of, not cardboard, maybe it's cardboard on the inside, but it's wrapped in felt on Mm -hmm. the bottom, and we wrapped puppy pads around that. We wrapped three puppy pads around each one. Okay. And Lexi did pee on hers. So when we got to LA, we found that there was, like, a yellow spot, and we took off one of the puppy pads, and the other two were clean, so we didn't have to change it. That's really smart. Yeah, that was a really good thing that I'm glad we did. Yeah. And you can buy puppy pads at Walmart for like $7 for a ton of them or something like that. That's great. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So in terms of health and in terms of preparing all of that, what did you have to do? 
For China, and the regulations vary by country, in China we needed to get a rabies vaccine between 30 days and one year before the date of travel. I think we got ours about two or three months in advance, but we also got them microchipped. That's not required for China, but we were thinking about moving to Germany eventually, Uh which isn't off the table at this point, but Germany requires a very specific kind of microchip. So we got that kind of microchip and then you need to get the rabies vaccine after the microchip. Oh, okay. So there are a lot of really specific things that you need, but rabies vaccine was really important. And then the other thing that was pressing issue was that you, we needed to get them checked out by a federally, federally accredited vet within seven days of the date of travel. Mm. It wasn't clear as to whether that needed to be seven days of the date of travel or seven days of the date of arrival. So right. to be safe, we did it, I think, four days before we left. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we got the vet certificate of health, we took it directly to the USDA which was in our state's capital, Mm -hmm. to get a stamp from the USDA saying that it was valid. And I think that was like another $70. Yeah. They stamped that certificate of health and we had the rabies vaccination. So those were the two important documents that we really needed, I believe. And depending on where you're going, they may or may not have to be in a quarantine. Right. Actually, in Shanghai and Beijing, all animals are required to go through a 30-day quarantine from the U.S., but into Guangzhou, it was a home quarantine. But a lot of places require much longer quarantine. Oh, wow. Like, Australia requires a minimum of six months quarantine. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I would never move to Australia with a pet then. (laughs) Right. I heard about somebody who moved to Australia and before that they spent like six months living in Singapore because that decreased the amount of time that their dog would need to be in quarantine. Oh, wow. The minimum was six months. I don't know what the maximum is. That's really intense. (laughs) Yeah. You have to really want to move to Australia. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) But that's really something that you would have to check out for your specific destination. Yeah. The specific requirements, whether it be rabies, whether it be a microchip. I know for Spain, it's necessary as well to have a microchip. What other vaccines they might need. So it's different for every place, but that's something you would have to check. Yeah. And plan very far in advance. Right. At least, I would say three months in advance, start getting ready. Yeah, at least. I think I heard that Denmark is the easiest European country to bring your animal into. Really? Yeah, either Denmark or the Netherlands. It might be the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. But once you bring them into the European Union, you can transfer them by train to wherever you're going. Yeah. But, for example, in China, you can't bring a pet on a train <laughs> or okay. a bus. So we landed in Guangzhou, and then we had a private car transfer to Shenzhen. It's so complicated. So these are all things that you need to think about, obviously, beforehand. Right. I think in Spain, pets can go on trains, but they have to fit in a crate that you can carry. Okay. Does it have to be a hard crate? Mm, I don't know that it does. Okay. But we tried to take him to Toledo, and they were like, he has to be in a crate. And we're like, there's no way we can carry a crate for him on a train. It's (laughs) going to be like a three-person carry job. Yeah. (laughs) How much does he weigh? He weighs maybe 60 pounds. Okay, yeah. But the crate's heavy, too. Yeah. 
they can ride in Madrid on the metro at certain nice. on certain days and certain hours and huh. okay. on the commuter train. So we just assumed that a long distance train would be the same, but it was not. So Okay, yeah. <laughs> something you also have to check out. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I think that pretty much covers the destination. Yeah. Microchips, certificates. I think that's a big thing. Like, when you get there, you need to make sure that you can take transportation to wherever they're going. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about the in-flight process, the actual process of bringing them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Something that I definitely didn't think enough about was TSA. Uh-huh. When we brought the cats via TSA, we had to wait in a special section, like a designated area, okay, for a TSA agent to come get us and then escort us through the line. And then when we got to the line, so obviously this won't be the case if you put your animal in cargo, but in TSA, we had to remove the cats from the carriers, put the carriers through the scanner, and then on the other side of TSA, they had to scan us for explosives so they had to like rub a little thing on our hands so this is while you're holding the cat though (laughs) like you can't put it back in the carrier yet so i'm like standing there with winston in my arms and the tsa guy is like okay give me your hand and i have to remove one of my hands from the bottom of the cat and i show him my hand and he's like further like i don't and i was like oh he's fine like he's not gonna scratch and the tsa guy goes I don't take chances with cats. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, whatever. And But, like, the cat's unstable at this point. Like, I can only do so much with one arm. In yeah. the end, it was fine. But, yeah, he was, like, not a cat person. <laughs> Clearly resented his resented the job that had been given to him that day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that is something to think about. And if you're with a dog who's in cargo, you should arrive quite a bit earlier, too, like at least three hours before. Mm-hmm. Maybe more, actually. I think it depends on the day, right? If you're flying like a, at a really busy time yeah. during the holidays, for example, then probably. But if it's at a weird time, you might be okay two or three hours beforehand. Yeah, but you got to like check them in and stuff. I think early, and then you'll want to walk them before that, right? if possible, and send them on their way, (laughs) and then they will be the last thing loaded into the plane, so that's good. (laughs) Yeah, that would be my my only hesitation about getting there early. Like, I want to keep them in the crate as little as possible when they're going on a long flight, but you have to do what you have to do. I think also there are different state requirements and even different airport requirements for different animals. So yeah. make sure you do all of your research on your specific state slash country slash airport yeah. where you're going. <sighs> Is there anything else that you experienced that you hadn't thought of before or you think would be useful to somebody else traveling? Yeah, let me see. This list that we found made me think of a lot of stuff. There are a lot of ideas on the internet about ways to calm your pet naturally. None of them worked for us. <laughs> like there's a spray you can buy and like a certain kind of collar that's calming. Right. They did not work for us. <laughs> that's why we ended up drugging the cats. We tried other things before that. Yeah. We did get little collapsible bowls. Uh-huh. So we tried to give them water 
in those bowls. They didn't drink the water, but it was good to have that as an option for them, just in case. <laughs> They're like, no. <laughs> I'm angry. Right. Yeah. They were totally not into it. The vet said that they would probably take them a few days to want to eat or drink again mm-hmm. and to not like get too stressed out. Maybe not a few days, but like 24 hours. They ate as soon as we got to Guangzhou and gave them food. <laughs> And they were on solid ground and not in an airport bathroom. They were like, all right, things are safe. I can eat now. (laughs) We were very relieved about that. Yeah. They say to put something that smells like you in the carrier. Yeah. Just to kind of relax the animal. Yeah. Or something that is like one of their favorite things. Like if they have a bed that they love or like a blanket or a toy or something might help to relax them. Exactly. I did put a shirt that smelled like me in the carrier. I have no idea if it made a difference. (laughs) But he ended up sleeping on me anyway, so... God, my cat is so spoiled. When you get to your point of destination, I do know that now it's very easy to find, like, a camera that you can plug into the wall and hook up to your phone, like a nanny cam kind of thing for your pet. Okay. I've thought about getting one of those for our cats, just, like, a little camera to make sure they're okay. Yeah. (sighs) That'd be interesting. It hasn't come to that yet, but... (sighs) Who knows what the future holds? Right, yeah. Would you get that for your animals? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Not gonna lie. I would like to see what he does all day. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It would make me sad, though, if I saw, like, the cats, like, meowing at the door for hours. Yeah. I bet that's not what they do, though. Surely they don't, yeah. Surely they don't think about us all day. Where did mom and dad go? Yeah. I think he just lays on the bed, but he's been, you know, very bad sometimes. So it would be interesting to see, like, huh, let's try this. Yeah. Let me tear this up. Yeah. Watch an action. So we've mostly focused on plane travel, right? Yeah. But there are other ways of traveling. We briefly talked about trains. Some buses could work, ferries and other types of boats. You would have to check out, obviously, car travel and things like that. But plane is by far the most tricky and the most potentially disastrous, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I would be interested to see what it's like to travel with an animal on a ferry. (sighs) Yeah, I bet it would be nice, though. Like, if you could walk around the boat with them, then... Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Do you know how Rayo does with water? He likes it. I don't think he's ever been on a boat, though. Mm. But he likes to jump in it. That would have been a good thing for a fairy, obviously. (laughs) No. Come back! (laughs) I don't think he would do that, though. But no, it would be fun, I think. Yeah. Especially if it was like an overnight fairy or something like that. Oh, yeah, that'd be really cool. I think that pretty much covers everything about traveling and taking your pets with you. If you have any questions about our experiences or additions to what we've said, then let us know. And if you have an experience that is either different from ours or you have something to add, that would be greatly helpful as well. Yeah, definitely. I know that there just isn't a ton of information out there about traveling with your pets, which is one reason I wrote a three-part blog post on it. (laughs) And so we get a lot of visitors to the website looking for that information. So I know that if you could add anything, then that would be really helpful for other people as well. Yeah. The more information we have to share, the better it is for everyone traveling with pets. Yeah, exactly. 
You know, before we went to China, I actually was looking for a podcast episode on traveling with animals, and I found one guy who did an episode on it. I have no idea who it was. It was a long time ago, but he had, like, zero useful information. He had just, like, done his research on it, and I was like, this is not applicable to my situation in any way. So thank you so much for wasting my time. Anyway, yeah, I hope this was useful for other people looking to travel with pets or move abroad with them. So, no Lost in Translation moment this week. I will be going on vacation in Thailand for two weeks, so we'll be back in February. Mm -hmm. And make sure you send us your Lost in Translation moments so that we can have one for episode 37. Definitely. Uh, You've got two weeks or so to figure that out. Have some awkward moment. (laughs) Yeah. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We are on all platforms like the one you're listening to right now. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And make sure you leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us. And tell any friends or family that you think might enjoy it. Give them a little recommendation. Share the podcast with them. That would also be super helpful. And our next episode is going to be language themed. So if you have any requests for a theme that you'd like us to talk about, then just shoot us a message. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening and have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.